your Bibles and turn to John 15. John 15. Likely all of you have heard this statement from preachers and Christians alike. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah. And by the way, that's true, especially for Christians, right? Yeah, amen. But having God's love and being a part of His glorious plan does not exempt you from trials and difficulties or the world's hatred and persecution, right? All right. In fact, it includes it. But God's wonderful grace will carry you through it. Just as we just got done singing, He will hold you fast. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Philippians 1, 29 and 30. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Later in that same epistle. And remember, the Apostle Paul is saying these words while in prison. He's suffering for the cause of Christ. And he says this in Philippians 3 and verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. (laughs) Now, how often do you pray that? Hmm? That I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings? Yeah, that should come from our hearts and lips. That's how we get to know Christ better. That's what Paul is saying. Well, Jesus spoke to this matter long before Paul did, right here in our passage for today. So I want you to follow with me at what he told the disciples in verses 18 through 27 of John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. As you can see in verse 17 of our previous text that we looked at last week. Jesus commanded His disciples to love one another, to have a mutual love amongst themselves. And this is necessary, not only because it's God's will, He's commanding it of them, 
But because they would not experience that from the world. But what? What does the text say here? Hatred. That's right. As their master went on to explain here in the following verses in our text for today. You see, disciples of Christ are known to the world by their love for each other. That's what Jesus said back in John 13, verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love amongst yourselves. But the world is known to followers of Christ by their hatred for God and them. Beloved, that is a reality. That is. By world here, used six times, by the way, in verses 18 and 19. And hatred, used seven times in this whole text. Jesus was referring to a uh, society and system that stands in opposition, sometimes maliciously, to God, to Christians, because they are under the power of Satan. In fact, Jesus had told some people Some Jews who had supposedly believed on him. You have your father the devil. He just said that chapters earlier. Now if you were to ask the average person in the world. If she or he hates Jesus. Hates Christians. uh, Are followers of Satan. I mean. Likely you're going to hear a resounding no. I'm not that, by no means. But watch what happens if you faithfully proclaim the Word, the Word of God. Faithfully proclaim the Gospel, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Let's say faithfully stand for righteousness. I can tell you right now that there is going to be some animosity and suffering. I mean, as Christians, we stand against abortion, right? But that's a big issue in our world today. How about transgenderism? That's all around us. Homosexuality, it's all around us. Yeah, we stand against those things because God's word stands against it. But to the world, when they hear us taking a stand against that, that's like hate speech. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to receive some, 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 some animosity from them. There's no doubt about it. But I, beloved, I, I truly believe that none of us here likes to be hated or to be persecuted, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't. But in being followers of Jesus, this is what will often happen to us. And if it doesn't, I think you should be asking why. Because if you're faithfully standing for the Lord, you will be persecuted. Jesus told his disciples this. He's, he's promising them this very thing. He's giving them some perspective on this. I want to read this story to you about John Wesley. He was riding along a road one day when it dawned on him that three whole days had passed in which he had suffered no persecution. Not a brick or an egg had been thrown at him for three days. Alarmed, he stopped his horse and exclaimed, Can it be that I have sinned and am backslidden? Slipping from his horse, Wesley went down on his knees and began interceding with God to show him where, if any, there had been a fault. 
A rough fellow on the other side of the hedge, hearing the prayer, looked across and recognized the preacher. I'll fix that Methodist preacher, he said, picking up a brick and tossing it over at him. It missed its mark and fell harmlessly beside John. Whereupon Wesley leaped to his feet, joyfully exclaiming, Thank God it's all right. I still have his presence. I mean, how many of us would have that kind of attitude? We'd be lifting up our dukes ready for a fight. Well, I want you to consider with me two responses. Two responses to the world's hatred given from what Jesus told his disciples in this passage of Scripture. And I trust that it will strengthen your soul as you face opposition for the glory of God. Two responses. And the first response actually covers verses 18 through 25. Almost this whole text. That's the first response. What Jesus is doing in this paragraph is helping his disciples, his followers, to reason through the world's hatred for them. To help them understand, to give them some perspective on this. And so the first response is actually the application that I'm giving out of this perspective. And it's simply this. Don't be disheartened by the world's hatred for you. That is the first response to what Jesus is reasoning with his disciples here. Giving them perspective. Don't be disheartened by the world's hatred for you. And then he gives these men three reasons why in this passage of Scripture. And the first one is there in verses 18 and 19. What did he tell them? If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, because of this, the world hates you. What do you notice there? What's the reason the world hates you? It's because you belong to Jesus. It's because you belong to Jesus. That's what he's telling them. So as you can see, Jesus told the 11 there in verse 19 that he what? Chose them out of the world. Which he just did there in verse 16 as well, right? It wasn't just here in verse 19, but he did a few verses earlier. There in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I may give it to you. As I'm thinking about this, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul who said there in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And what's the first blessing he mentions? That I have chosen you before the foundation of the world. To be holy. Paul repeats himself again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Almost the very same words. You see, these disciples were called out of the kingdom of darkness. The world. Into the kingdom of light, Christ. And so therefore, they had a different life now. They had a different lifestyle, 
which reflected the one who rescued them. And who was the one who rescued them? It was Jesus. He said, be followers of me. I will make you fishers of men. So since these men represented him, who, by the way, was actually hated before them. He says that there in verse 18. Well, they're going to receive the same treatment. No doubt about it. In fact, the Apostle Peter later told some suffering saints, this is primarily to that which they had been called. Called to suffering? Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I've said this a few times, especially when we went through 1 Peter, that the apostle there is encouraging saints. He's challenging saints in light of the suffering that they are experiencing as believers in Christ Jesus. Peter says these words in 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Look with me over chapter 4 in verse 1. Peter went on to say, Therefore, since Christ also suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. (laughs) Now look with me at chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. That's the instruction Peter is giving suffering saints. The Lord Jesus has called you to that very thing. Now, let me ask you, beloved, are you thankful this morning that God chose you and that you belong to him? Yes. Amen. He chose you. You belong to him. That's marvelous grace. It's wonderful. He's changed you. You have new values. You have a new purpose to please him. All of that's a work of God. You are no longer of the world. And when I contemplate on those truths, I just marvel at God's grace in that way. But with it comes opposition. It does. You don't share in the world's love. In fact, that's what Jesus said there in verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this. The world hates you. Yeah. 
And so, don't be surprised by this. Don't be disheartened. In fact, be thankful instead that you belong to Jesus. And yes, with that comes opposition. But let's rejoice this morning that we belong to Him. Let that stand above. And whatever comes my way, comes my way. It's all for the glory of God. The world hates you because you belong to Jesus. But there's another reason for not being disheartened. Again, he's trying to provide his disciples some perspective here as he's talking to them. Look with me at verses 20 and 21. He goes on to say, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So what do you say here? What's another reason? The world hates you because they don't know God. That's what he just got done saying. They don't know God. Jesus said that there at the end of verse 21. And then, by the way, he repeats it a little bit later in 16 and verse 3. Look with me over there. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. What things is he talking about? Look with me back to verse 2. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. Who thought that way? The Apostle Paul. Yeah, he thought he was doing service for God by getting rid of Christians. So it's sort of a prophecy here coming from Jesus. Well, right here in the text, Jesus reminded his disciples what he had told them earlier in 1316, that a slave is not greater than his master. And so they would be persecuted just like him for bearing his name. That's what he's telling them. And the world would be the instrument of all this because they do not have a relationship to God. Their mind and their heart is alienated. It's hostile to him. And therefore, anyone who's joined to him This past week, as I was reading through my Bible reading through the New Testament, I came across this passage in Galatians 6 and verse 17. Paul here is closing this epistle, and he says these words, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Now, he wasn't talking about a tattoo that says, I love Jesus. You know, or a cross, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with those things. He wasn't talking about that. No, he's talking about scars that were on his physical body, beatings that he had taken because of standing for Christ. In fact, in Second Corinthians, I believe it is chapter 11, he says, five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews. Yeah, he had scars on his body. And you know, beloved, there was a time when you and I had a heart that was hostile and alienated toward God and toward Christians, didn't we? You bet. 
You had no interest in him or being with Christians because you had nothing in common with them. You were dead and blind to spiritual things. Likely, people around you, Christians, were the recipients of your vicious words about them. But God's grace delivered you. Amen? Yeah. You know, I can remember just myself. I grew up in a, in a Christian church. I heard the gospel preached. But before I was saved, I would refer to Christians in our church who lived holy lives as Joe and Jane Christian. And that wasn't meant to be a compliment. It was being sarcastic of those around me. Look with me, if you would, at Titus 3. I love this text. Titus chapter 3. The Apostle Paul gives Titus and believers on Crete some perspective here. Titus chapter 3. Beginning with verse 3. This is what Paul said. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And all God's people say, Amen. How wonderful that is. And therefore, you should understand the world's hatred. They don't know God just like you once didn't. (laughs) You were hateful. You hated others and spoke maliciously against them. That's where you were at. And so therefore you should understand receiving that same treatment as you dished out before you were saved. And then be patient and entrust yourself to a sovereign God Who oversees it all and will carry you through it. He will. You know, that's what Paul and Silas did in Acts 16. You remember the story? Yeah, they were preaching the word. And then all of a sudden they were taken captive by some officials. And they were beaten. And then they were taken into a cold prison and put in stocks. The Bible tells us at midnight they did what? Grumble? Did they grumble? No. They were singing praises to God, being counted worthy to suffer for His sake. And then all of a sudden an earthquake took place. And the jailer comes in thinking that they're all going to escape, so he's got to take his life. He says, no, 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 don't do that. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Yeah, God used that persecution To give them an open door to share the gospel. And so they counted it worthy to suffer for his name's sake. May God help you to have the same spirit and attitude and use you for his glory. 
The world hates you because you belong to Jesus. Because they don't know God. You can just imagine Jesus here reasoning this out with them. Giving them some perspective on all of this. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to provide another reason for not being disheartened. And we see that in verses 22 to 25. Look what he goes on to say. If I had not come and spoken to them, that is the world, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. What was Jesus talking about there? The world hates you because their sin is exposed. Yeah. The world hates you because their sin is exposed. This truth is emphasized twice in this passage. Verses 22 and 23, and then again in verses 24 and 25. Jesus told his disciples here that the world of his day was without excuse for their sin because he both spoke the word of God to them, verse 22, and did the works, miracles before them, verse 24. In other words, they were doubly guilty due to all the revelation they received, and they hated him for it without a cause. (laughs) He's bringing truth to them. And so he quotes there from Psalm 69 and verse 4, those words there in verse 25, but they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Yeah. It was being fulfilled right there. That's what he's saying. You know, Jesus was the prophet that was foretold in Deuteronomy 18. We're not going to go there this morning. But I would ask you to go to Deuteronomy 18. There's a prophet that is foretold that is going to come to the Jewish people to minister to them. And that prophet is Jesus. He would lovingly come to help his people, the Jewish people, see their sin and only hope of salvation. He would even do many miracles to affirm who he was and that his message was true. But what happened when he did? They rejected him. And in fact, just hours from now, they're going to put him to the cross. What does it say in John 1 and verse 11? How does this epistle, this, this gospel start out? He came unto his own and his own received him not. In fact, in Acts 2, 22 and 23, Peter says this a little bit later after Jesus had ascended on the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. 
And beloved, though Jesus is gone, like the disciples, the world hates you as well because you represent him. And you expose their wicked hearts through the light of truth that you share with them. Look back with me to John chapter 3. Again, this is another one of those passages that every once in a while I will turn to for perspective. John 3, just after this discussion Jesus has with Nicodemus, these words are shared beginning in verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that light has come in the world. And the men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be made manifest as having been wrought in God. How many times when you are witnessing to people and you feel when you walk away, man, I, I presented the gospel so clearly to them. How come they don't believe just like I did? Well, you exposed their sin. They're opposed to that. You're bringing a light upon their hearts. And if they're not prepared to meet Jesus, they're going to hate you for this. They don't like this. And so don't take offense or be disheartened because we can in those moments. Instead, expect it and rejoice that you have been counted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake, just as Paul and Silas did. Realize that you are lovingly bringing them the only hope that they can possibly have. Okay, so you expose their sin and they hate you for it, but you're bringing them hope. (laughs) Yeah. So here Jesus is telling his disciples, essentially, don't be disheartened. The world hates you because you belong to Jesus. They don't know God, and their sin is exposed. Well, this leads right into a second response to the world's hatred. On one hand, don't be disheartened. But then what does Jesus go on to tell them in verses 26 and 27? When the Helper, the Comforter, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Do you see that response? It's this. Be diligent about testifying to the world who hates you. Yeah, be diligent about testifying to the world who hates you. That's what Jesus said there at the beginning of verse 27, right? And you will testify also. Actually, it says there, and you testify also. It's a command. And it's in the present tense, meaning it's ongoing. You see, because the disciples were with Jesus from the beginning of his earthly ministry, he says that at the end of verse 27, they were to continue proclaiming the truth they had heard from him and to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the previous verse. 
who would empower and minister through them. Look what he says there in verse 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus had already told the eleven about this earlier that evening, did he not? Go with me back to chapter 14 where he mentioned it the first time. Verses 16 and 17. He told the disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. That's when he first told them. But then he tells them a little bit later in verse 26 of chapter 14. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And if they didn't get it, He tells them again here in chapter 15. Verses 26 and 27. But it's not the last time He will say it. He goes on in chapter 16, verses 7 to 11. And we're going to be getting there. But what He says there in 16, 7, 11 goes Right with the very text that we're looking at today. And so together, the witness of the disciples and the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary. We can't do that work without His power, right? And the Holy Spirit uses us, the voice, to proclaim that word. Together, they don't contradict one another. They complement one another. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Don't be disheartened. Be diligent about testifying to the world. And you're not going to do it by yourself. (laughs) Jesus is going to be with you through the Holy Spirit. Remember that. You see, even though the world hated the disciples and they could expect persecution, they couldn't be silent. The temptation would be to be silent, for sure, out of fear. But instead, they had to continue preaching the message of salvation. That's what Jesus was telling them. And the Spirit of God would lead them through it all to accomplish God's purposes. I want you to look with me, if you would, at Acts chapter 1. What Luke records of Jesus' words. This would have been right before Jesus ascended. You talk about the Great Commission out of Matthew 28. Well, this is a part of that. (laughs) Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. What did Jesus tell his followers before he ascended? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Then what happens on the day of Pentecost? The Spirit is received. And boy, Peter is a different man. (laughs) He's proclaiming the Word in the power of the Spirit and saying some pretty pointed things to these people that were around him. Now turn with me over to chapter 5. Chapter 5. We see here that the apostles were taken captive by some leaders 
It says there beginning in verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them. That is the apostle saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Well, beloved, the same is true for you and I today. Because we are Christ's witnesses as well. And you can't fear man but God. But the tendency is for us to fear man so we don't say anything. He's called us to this work. And really, these were some of the same words that Timothy, I should say Paul, gave Timothy just before he died. In fact, turn with me, if you would, over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. I know I'm having you turn to a number of passages, but I will tell you, in this last week, just going through all the texts in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament about persecution and suffering is immense. It's all over the place. These believers of that day in the first century understood this. Unfortunately, today we have it too good and we, we, we don't think about it. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is speaking uh, to him because he's a man that's given to fear. He's timid. He brings it up to him. He says there, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a power and of love and discipline. He says that in verse 7. But then notice what he goes on to say. This is Paul now, who's getting ready to die. This is his swan song. He's going to have his head taken off. And this is what he says to Timothy. Verse 8, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. And so, beloved, make this a matter of prayer. That God would empower you to share the saving message of Jesus Christ. And if you do, he will answer that prayer. He will remove fear. He will empower you through his spirit. Why? Because this is his will. This is his will. In fact, that's what John said in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. If you ask anything according to my will, I, God, will hear you. (laughs) I'm not for sure if I've shared this experience with you as a whole. I know I have individual believers at various times. 
So if I have shared this, forgive me. But I can remember just a couple years after I got saved, I was about a senior in high school at that time, and our church had a visitation program. We would do this on Tuesday nights. And uh, a lot of times people would come and visit our church. They would fill, fill out these cards. And so on Tuesday night, we would take those cards and go out and visit with some of those people. And we didn't have Internet and email and all that kind of stuff <laughs> like we have today. But also it was an opportunity to go door to door and share the gospel. And especially in the wintertime, I didn't like going to the door to door because it was so cold out. So I would go to these apartment complexes. Uh, in Miles City, so I could be indoors for a while. And I remember going to one door, I think it was on the second floor, if I'm not mistaken, and there was just music blasting out of this, this room. I thought, well, I'll, I'll just knock on the door anyway. So I did. And lo and behold, the guy that opened up the door was a guy that I played basketball with about two or three years before that. And he goes, Kirk! <laughs> wow, it's good to see you. Come on in! So he invited me in. I didn't even have to tell him while I was there. And when I walked in, there were five other guys whom I had played basketball with, and there was a big cloud in the room. They were all smoking weed, you know, smoking dope. And right then, my heart went, oh, no, what have I gotten into? And he pulls up a chair. He says, sit down. So I, I did, and uh, he says, so tell me, what's going on with your life? Well, he, he served me a softball. And I told him a little bit, but then I went on to tell him how the Lord had saved me about three years prior to that. And because of that, I had left the public school where I was playing basketball with all these guys. And I went to a Christian school. So they, they were wondering, what had happened? Well, I told him I got saved and that Christ had changed my life. And then I went on to tell them, you know what? I want you guys to have the same thing I have because I love you. I want you to be rescued from hell because Christ has rescued me. And you could hear a pin drop, but their eyes were looking at me like, has this guy lost his marbles? I think one of them even said that. Have you lost your marbles? And then they all started laughing at me. And I think it was partly due to the the dope, you know, that was in their system. But I felt about this high. And uh, the guy says, well, I hope the best for you. And so I walked out the door. And uh, I can remember thinking, wow, just feeling uncomfortable. But that's just a small amount of persecution compared to the Apostle Paul who wore the brand marks of Jesus. And I was just hoping as I went home that somehow, some way one of those guys would come to know Christ as their Savior. Well, it was about four or five years later after I was out of college. Uh, my wife and I had been married for about a year, and we were at the rest home there in Mile City. And we were going around to the various rooms to invite people to a service. And, boy, this is hard for me to tell you, but I knocked on this one door, and I'm looking in, and the nurse says, uh, he can't respond to you. And it was the very guy whom I had shared the gospel with that one night who had opened up the door and let me in. His name is Dean Wolf, And he was a vegetable lying there in the bed. He was kind of in a bubble. 
he had gotten hit by a car and his head was almost twice the size of one normal size. And uh, all I could think about was that night that I shared the gospel. I walked out of the room and I told my wife, I said, you don't know this, but this happened, you know, a few years back. And I said, I just pray that he came to know Christ because in that state in which he was in, yeah, he was a vegetable. He was just waiting to die. Beloved, may you be faithful in testifying to a world who hates you. Even if they say malicious words, laugh at you. We don't have it like the first century believers. I think in some ways we should be thankful for that. (laughs) But that doesn't mean it won't come. Because if you're testifying to the truth and you are standing for righteousness, you will receive alienation and animosity from the world. There's no question about it. Jesus is telling his disciples this very thing. He wants them to have perspective regarding that. Beloved, I want you to listen to this counsel that Peter gave to suffering saints of his day. And again, I'm going back to 1 Peter. But he says earlier in that epistle, 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, these words. Listen to this. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Where did Peter first hear those words? He heard them the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Just heard them in a different way. He heard them from his Lord and Master. And as you saw today here in John 15, Jesus told him and the rest of the disciples to expect persecution from the world. Expect that they will hate you because you belong to Jesus. They belong to the world They do not know God, and their sin is exposed. And so don't be disheartened. I can just hear Jesus saying that to them. Don't be disheartened. Instead, remain diligent in testifying to them God's saving message. That sums it up in a whole, what this passage is saying. This is how you truly love a world that hates you. Be mindful of that. Are you up for it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. I trust that, Lord, your spirit will use it in our hearts today. God, for those who are faithful in bringing the word, God, continue to encourage them. For many in our church, there could be fear. Lord, I pray that you would help them, God, to be faithful. That, God, you would remove that fear and empower them to proclaim your word. So may we, God, follow you in regards to the instruction that we find here in this passage of Scripture. The very words that you, O Lord, shared with your disciples are for us. So let us be mindful of all these reasons for not being disheartened, but every reason for being diligent to proclaim your name to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen.